Jason Hickey. How you doing, Scott? Not too bad. Not too bad. So, with with less TV shows going on right now, mm-hmm. how do we do books? I'm all about books. I'm great with this. Sure. So, books is another geek thing. We love books here. Yep. That's actually one of the reasons why we started this, because we wanted to talk about Will Time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which we haven't done in a while. We're going to have to do soon. We will do Will Time again. We I think we have one more to do to finish up the first book. I think it's going to take too long. Yeah. We'll aim for one. We, we will we will play around with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we talked about this, and I do have a book I would like to talk about. It's actually a series, but I'm going to give you the premise because I want you to read it. Now, I found this book. It was on a list, I believe, on Tor.com about military science fiction, and I'm not huge into it. Um, I, I've read Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein because you have to. Um, I have read a good chunk of the uh, of the Old Man series by John Scalzi, and it was tempting to go with one of those two series if I want to talk about military science fiction, but I wanted to talk about something that is a little less known. Mm-hmm. There is an author named Linda Nagata. Okay. She wrote a series called The Red. It's a trilogy. The first book in it is now, called... Now, this has nothing to do with Red, the comic book series from DC. Nothing. Okay. Because that was a bad movie. <laughs> That was a bad movie. I don't even know what movie you're talking about, so it couldn't have been that good. <laughs> it's amazing what those people will sign up for. So I, I've looked it up. I'm going to read. So Red starred Bruce Willis, Mary Louise Parker from Weeds fame. Oh, wait, Red? Red. I like that movie. That wasn't that good. <laughs> well, it wasn't great. Kyle Urban. I mean, it had a lot of good actors. You know, Morgan Freeman. But it just, it just wasn't that good of a movie. It was very hokey. Yes. But it was fun. But that's not what this book is about. It is not. This series is called The Red. The first book is First Light. And it's about, it's set in the near future. Um, I believe, you know, 2030s, maybe 2040s. So a lot of the technology in it is either modern day or augmented modern day. Okay. This book is about Lieutenant James Shelley who is doing duty in desert African nation and he's fighting rebels. The way they describe it is he's got this net that hooks up to his brain and it gives him you know, information on the fly and he's automatically connected to his handler. They have drones flying in the area so that they can instantly know who's where. And I'm not going to blow everything for you. I'm just going to give you the premise. Something happens to him and Ooh, something happens, something to, the main happens to him and he <laughs> gets this instead of having a net that goes over his bald head he gets something implanted in him that gives him a lot of the same abilities but it's faster because it's directly connected to his brain and then he starts to get warnings and we don't know who these warnings are from but it's from something called the red the red the red it it follows you know elite crack military unit um slightly futuristic technology fighting against uh like people Say you know, kind of a anti-corporation kind of deal where e- evil corporation basically. So Walmart. <laughs> a little bit more sinister than that. But... So Target. Yes, Target. <laughs> Target is, and it's red too. So the the series it's told from a first-person perspective. So that that threw me at first. It's not something I'm used to, but I grew to really enjoy it. Uh, it's good. Nagata does a good job at setting up the mystery of what's going on with Lieutenant Shelley. What's the end game? Who's pulling the strings behind everything and i will say you get answers in the first book but she keeps you hooked and i've read the first i've read the second and the third is actually next on my reading list i have bought it so i will be reading that pretty soon and i will be finishing the trilogy but it's so it is just a trilogy and it is finished it is a trilogy it is finished 
Gotta love those finished series. Oh, yeah. There's too many series that are out there that are just... Hanging. Yeah. It's like, hey, guess what? You might get a release date this year. <laughs> just kidding. So with the story, with Red itself, is something going on with the corporation of Red? Or is something going on with some exterior corporation that Red is trying to have you go against? Uh, more of the latter. Red appears to be benevolent in that it's looking to help out mankind. Mm-hmm. And it's using lieutenant shelley as kind of a a lightning rod where it'll tell him these things because it's got access to him and he's warned of events that are in the pipeline that he can fight against so sort of minority report ask maybe a tiny bit in that aspect but she writes great action scenes the futuristic i'm I'm, I'm not trying to say that that is oh you're talking about the pre-crime i'm just talking about the the one little aspect of the pre-crime exactly that was philip k dick i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) um i I, a tad i can't remember every author's name i'm sorry well maybe you want to get on that (laughs) (laughs) um she writes great action scenes it'll keep you on the edge of your seat pretty good character work you grow attached to lieutenant shelley because he's he's a good character and he is just as much in the dark as everyone else and I love that. And you really see that because you're seeing the story through his eyes. Mm-hmm. The Red, Lin and Nagata, I highly recommend it. So read The Red. Read The Red. First Light <laughs> is the first book. First Light. The Red is the name of the series. Red is the name of the series. It's First Light, The Trials, and Going Dark is the three books. First one came out in 2013. The second two were actually both released in 2015. Okay. So these are definitely modern. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't, like, I, I do like older science fiction also. Um, mm-hmm. I've read one Heinlein book. I enjoyed it. I've got another one waiting in the wings. I read an Asimov book, and I wasn't blown away. They're slower. It's not even that they're slower. It's that I find that at least, like, I read Foundation. Mm-hmm. I loved the concept of Foundation. It's so cool. But what I found that I didn't like about the series, at least the first book, is that Asimov jumps around in, like, we're going to tell you about this happening right now, and then we're going to jump ahead 100 years, mm-hmm. and they're going to reference that and we're going to talk about what happens here and then we're going to jump ahead another 200 years it doesn't it's hard to connect with any characters when you're only spending a few pages with them sure sure so but anyway that's but but then again you have the opposite with say jordan who spends (laughs) paragraphs and pages about just description of a clothing that the person's wearing right exactly (laughs) that you only meet for that one chapter yeah (laughs) somewhere in there there's a happy medium but i don't know i i I enjoyed foundation i'll read the i'll most likely go back to them it's Mm. gonna take a little while because i wasn't blown away true but yeah i i enjoyed this book uh it's one of the first military science fiction books I've read, and I enjoyed it. It was good. Good to hear. Glad to have us talk about books again. I'll, I'm always ready to talk about books. Yeah, so we like to talk about books. Just, you know, majority of times is where we're time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's addicting. It is. It is. Well, now we're going to go and talk about sort of another book, Dunces and Dragons. That's just like a book. Well, it's actually from a book. It's The Curse of Strahd. The story is, it, the basic of the story is from The Curse of Strahd book. That's a good point. So it's from a book. All right, I'll give it to you. It's just my adaptation. <laughs> I adapt the book for you. Yes, and you try and kill us. Very much so. Very much so. You succeeded on a couple people. <laughs> I think I succeeded on you. Uh, my character is still alive. Oh, no. I've just... I, I've, I've knocked you down. I have people. been rendered unconscious a few times. Yes. So, last time, we were in the death house. Because, as we talked about, we spent... Four nights. <laughs> four actual real-world nights in this place. Yeah. And when you figure how much actual playtime we get while we're doing that, it's 
probably about 15 to 16 hours. Yeah, we do about four. I'd, about I'd, four I'd hours say a solid time. four hours, yeah. Yeah. Averages. So about 16 hours in this one house. Tough, man. I tried. <laughs> so if you remember last time, they got into the house. They met up with the children, Rose and Thorn. They said that their baby, not their their baby, but their baby brother mm-hmm. was missing. They don't know where it is. They The group went to the rooms to do some searching. They saw a room that had a crib, but it was being guarded by some spectral ghost. Which almost killed someone. Which almost killed someone. Because and if you're going to go check on a crib, what's the one thing you always want to have in your hand? A dagger. A dagger. Wait, no, that's not what you want. You don't want that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but oh. he had the dagger Ooh. in his hand. All right, yes. So then they almost got attacked by a broom with needles coming at them, and they fought the broom, destroyed the broom. <laughs> Down with brooms. <laughs> then they came across a hollowed-out shell of a armor that came alive and attacked them. And Jason got his sword. That's able to talk. I did. I was very excited about this. Now, the reason why the sword is able to talk is because it actually has Rose in the sword. Yes. Because Jason, when he was attacked by Rose, she possessed him. Yeah, that was real pleasant. (laughs) You know, when she tried to make me kill my teammates. Yes, yes, yes. It's good stuff. And Jason bartered with Rose to have her go into the sword. And so she went into the sword. And so now we have Rose in the sword. Mm Mm-hmm. And, well, they tried to get downstairs to the basement, but they couldn't because the door was locked and they couldn't find a way to get it open. They had to go to the attic. In the attic, there was a dollhouse of the house that they were in. And when they started moving things around, like, they moved their hand around the house, there was actually darkness coming when, when they, where the hand was, yeah, was hovering a, over. That was a nice touch. And so they thought, okay, maybe if we unlock the door in the dollhouse, that'll unlock the door downstairs. Mm-hmm. This is where we left off. So they unlock the door. They go downstairs. As soon as they get downstairs floor is covered with rats rats are coming out of the out of the walls and everywhere and yeah so they have to attack the rats <laughs> so they attack the rats and it actually it hurts our ranger <laughs> he needs to rest they so they get some time for them to rest i don't know why a ranger would get hurt a lot by rats but he was not able to swing at all i would say bad dice rolls is how yes and the fact that they were all rats you know, up close and the ranger wasn't able to use his main weapon being a longbow mm. it kind of hurt him oh. so then they were able to uh, got all the rats done they got back to the door to go downstairs open the door go down the stairs and now we are in the basement well, let me tell you the basement of this place the size of the house that we have seen so far is extremely deceptive when you're trying to determine the size of this basement <laughs> Extremely deceptive. Now, the whole death house and everything that's in the death house was in the book. I did not add anything to it. I didn't fudge any of the characters or anything to that whatsoever. I will do that later on in the <laughs> campaign. <laughs> but this part of the campaign, I wanted it to be sort of still manageable right. for low levels. Because they're pretty much level ones and two. And so we go to downstairs. They, tur- they turn left and they go down and they start to see that there are coffins. Open open coffins nothing's inside of them yeah looking like we have no idea what we're doing here <laughs> so they get out they start walking down the other hall and they see more coffins there's a total of eight coffins six no you're right six total of six coffins okay so i you know there were six coffins there and then they start walking out and they start walking down the path and they while they're walking i'm revealing parts of the maze and this is not a maze i made either this is literally their the maze in the book <laughs> I like my mazes, I do, but I didn't make this one. Yeah, it's just fortuitous. <laughs> and they start coming across some cultists. Yeah. And then they get attacked by the cultists. And they get hurt by the cultists. <laughs> While they're attacking the cultists, 
they find some odd items. Yeah. Do you remember that? Is this the the hand with the the statue hand? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so they find a statue hand with an orb inside of it. A lot of expectations about this. Yes. And they're all excited about this. They're like, oh, this is going to be, you know, mystico and whatever. They find the statue to put the, the hand into. It does absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Slow red herring. Other than get us attacked. Other than, you know, they, they throw it in. And more cultists and ghouls. Yeah, ghouls. And the ghouls are so much harder for them. <laughs> and, you know, they start attacking. Because there was so many. Whereas the first night, it was just a lot of searching the, the house. Not a lot of fights. This night, they started getting a lot into a lot of fights. Yeah. There were actually like probably six different fights just yeah, the, on this the one. The basement night. of this place was infested with <laughs> anything moving wanted to kill us. Yes. So they keep on looking, trying to find what they're supposed to do, how they can find the baby brother, one, how to, to get out of the house, pretty much. How to get out of the house is what they're, they're trying yeah. to do. So they're searching around. They see this chasm. And so Jason actually asks me, can I throw the gnome over? <laughs> and All I right. say yes. Now, I would like to clarify something. I, I try and play in character, and giants hate gnomes. So my thought was, he's either going to make it to the other side, or he's going to fall to his death. Win-win. Was I think it was either that night or the night before, I gave the gnome a instruction sheet about gnome tossing. <laughs> and the gnome himself was all like, I want to be thrown. I want gnome tossing. <laughs> gnome tossing is awesome. <laughs> so the gnome was all for it. Yeah. And so they throw the gnome over. <laughs> gnome makes it. Oh, yeah. Gets over there. He starts to search the other area. And I'm like, why are you doing that before the other guys get over there? Because <laughs> he's got a death wish. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know what? We should probably tie a rope off so we can be able to climb across. <laughs> like, okay, good. <laughs> so he then ties a rope over. They all do a little athletics checks. And they were able to get across. They start looking in. And they find the actual cultists' sleeping quarters. Yeah. Although they didn't know it was sleeping quarters at the time. <laughs> at the time, they were really trying to guess what is going on here. <laughs> I don't remember all of the guesses, but one of them I thought was hilarious. And that was, they thought that this was a, BDS dum- a BDSM dungeon. <laughs> and I was just, I just shook my head. <laughs> it's, I don't remember where I heard it. I think it was Julian Sandar. From a way old time, but it's you don't have to give all the information when you're trying to torture someone. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is three random things and let their imagination run wild. That was Jewel and Sandar, because as soon as you said it, I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> and so that's the thing is I'm giving them slight descriptions of the kind of room that they're in, and so their mind is just going wild. <laughs> well, up until this point, everything in this basement tried to kill us, so we're thinking the worst. <laughs> a BDSM dungeon is not the worst. To the person who suggested it, apparently was. <laughs> I don't remember who suggested that. Um, I think it was the gnome. I would say, it sounds like a gnome thing. Yeah, I think it was the gnome that made that suggestion. So they start looking around, and there's nothing coming out at this location, actually. So they start to go back. And they start walking all the way back to the other end. And they walk into a separate room. And it's a bedroom. And they get into this bedroom. And then all of a sudden, we have two more ghouls come out. But they seem to be much stronger than the ghouls actually they fought before. These are the parents, people. Yeah. These are Roses and Thorns' parents. Mm -hmm. They've turned into ghouls. That was a tough one. They were kind of ghoulish in general on their own. But that fight on its own 
pretty devastating to the group. <laughs> I think I knocked out three out of the five characters. Yeah, I do remember it being harrowing. Yes. So I didn't kill any of them because when I say knocked out is they fall down and they have to start rolling their save throws. Right. They actually do make their save throws. <laughs> hey, there's one thing I'm good at in this game that's save throws. Yeah. But they were able to take down the father and then they were able to take down the mother. And then they searched everywhere could and they're like why isn't and they went back upstairs to see if the door was open. I was like why isn't the door open we kill the parents mm-hmm. shouldn't this be the end i give them a hint i'm like coffins are still empty <laughs> <laughs> I'm, i didn't say that exactly i think i said you walked around and you saw things that were empty and saw things that were full little, you might need to yeah. go and fill the things that were empty <laughs> yeah little hints like that a little vague but we through our thick skulls we were able to Yes, and so they're like, you know what? We need to go and put these bones of the parents mm-hmm. into the coffins. So they took the parents and put them into the coffins. Coffins sealed shut. <laughs> you know, nice little seal, and they can't get out. And like, okay, well, two of the coffins are now filled. There's four more coffins. Yeah. If I recall, didn't the mother go down real hard when we put her in there? She was bad. No, they, I mean, the ceiling went down pretty hard. The mother was already dead, so... She was dead dead, because she was already a ghoul. Yes. <laughs> so they, then they're like, you know what? There were the bones of the kids upstairs. Yep. So they go upstairs, and they grab the bones of the kids, bring the bones of the kids back downstairs, and put the bones of the kids into the coffins. Sealed, and they're like, okay. Well, and I think one thing we got to remember is that so far all these coffins have had names on them. Yes, all the coffins had names. Um, I don't remember what the names were, so I'm not going to say them. But they had the names so that they knew who to put in which coffin. Then there were two more coffins. One had a name and one didn't. Right. And they're like, well, there was another set of bones up in the attic. We need to get those. They took them, brought them down, and they put them into the baby's coffin. Because we're dumb. Because they're dumb. (laughs) And they actually (laughs) thought what what my thinking of their thought was, well, the other coffin's not for no one. But the baby had a name. And so they put it in the baby coffin, thinking that it was just the baby's as, well, as grown up. How we confused adult bones with a baby? I don't know. Well, that's why I said you thought they were grown up. It was, I don't know. It wasn't our finest moment. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, and I'm like, like well, okay, well, has that coffin closed? It's like, no, no, no nothing happened with the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> like, did we put it in the wrong way? <laughs> so, they, <laughs> <laughs> so they go, they move the bones around and try to put it a different way. And they're like, did it close? They're like, no, no, it didn't close. <laughs> I want to say this moment actually took them about a half an hour to figure out, take those bones and put it into the coffin with no name. Well, like I said, it wasn't our finest hour. So they take the bones and they put it into the coffin with no name and then <laughs> coffin sealed. Mm-hmm. So now I know there's one more coffin left. Yep. The baby is somewhere. We need to search around this basement. So they start walking around, traveling everywhere, and they pretty much, they've killed everything that's already in the basement already, at least what they think. Yeah. <laughs> and they're searching around. You know, they find a secret hidden passageway, and they go through the passageway, and it leads them back to the house, because it's the wrong secret passageway. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk there was more than one? I know. <laughs> Dang it. So then they go back down the secret passageway to get back into the tunnel and start looking around. We're like, hey, we found one. There has to be more. <laughs> A lot of perception checks that night. A lot of perception checks. I think we're on night three right now is when I'm, from what I'm talking. I think so, yeah. Yeah, because they found the new secret passageway at the end of night three. Yeah. And they start going in there and they get attacked again by some cultists. And 
they find the coach is actually talking this time. So the coach just tells them that they're going to die, tells them that they're going to be given to the great Lord, who, of course, is not Shaitan. <laughs> I'm sorry for those Will of Time people. I have caught upon the Dark Lord. <laughs> yeah. But he is Strahd. So these are people worshiping to Strahd. But Strahd doesn't care about them. Right. Strahd never came to them. AKA, they all deserve to die. Yes. So the group kills these cultists. And then they start walking in. And they walk into this room. And they see this giant ball of moss. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, if we go into this room, you know, something's happening. Oh, yeah. the amount of description I gave to that room, they knew something was going to happen. It screamed trap. <laughs> so, like, we're going to rest. <laughs> so they they made their rest. They did. I let them do a rest, and nothing happened. I did roll to see if things came up, and nothing happened. They were lucky. Occasionally, the dice roll our way. They walk into this room, and as soon as all of them walk into the room, <laughs> door seals up. And they are fighting this giant ball of moss thing. I forgot what of the monster was i don't remember i just remember he had multiple attacks and they were all at random yes i had a roll for random attacks how many attacks i get to do and stuff like that so mm-hmm. it, was, it was fun it was fun for me i was say yeah i knocked out i want to say four out of the five there was only one left before they were you know they were resurrecting it during the fight right but at one time there was actually only one person left alive <laughs> <laughs> and it was not jason yeah it wasn't me <laughs> but during the fight, they were able to, finally able to, to get down and defeat the moss monster. And the monster then separated, broke apart, and they found the bones of a baby. Yeah. It was actually a child at the time. Um, it, it was their child, Walter. Because that was the name that was on the coffin. It was Walter. They take the bones. They go out, put it into the coffin. Coffin seals. And then they hear the doors open upstairs. We were very excited. Very excited. They start running upstairs, and Jason is like... Hey, Rose, you're staying in the sword, right? She's like, no, no, no. I'm going to stay in my house. I'm not going to I'm not gonna go. You can take the sword with you, but I will have to stay with my brother and family. We have been let go and laid to rest. I was very disappointed. He was. This is the one thing he was hoping the entire I game. Happen, right? I gave him the hint of a hope of a talking sword. Which, if you're wondering where I get this from, it's from the book Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. There is a talking sword, and it's fantastic. But what it boiled down to was Scott didn't want to have to do the six-year-old girl voice every time my sword talked. Pretty much. So uh, my sword was denied a voice. That was a highly accurate description as to why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's understandable. So they get out of the house, and then as soon as they get out of the house and they walk down the stairs, the house spins and vanishes. Yeah. So that was just the hell <laughs> yeah i think we leveled up though they did level up walked down the road they finally they realized they were just outside of the town of barovia they went to the inn and at this point is where we see murder hoboing although they're not technically murdering anyone at this they go in and so the people of barovia are all let's just let, let's just go and, and be simple with it they're racist uh, okay and i know what event you're talking about and i We'll give an editorial when we get there. So they go in. The first person that goes in was a tiefling. Because in this group, there is not one human. Yeah. I think in the group of nine, there's only one human, right? There were two at this point in time. Well, now we, there's only one. We had a death in the family, folks. <laughs> yes. But in this group itself, there is the gnome rogue, the dragonborn druid, half-elf ranger, giant warrior. Mm-hmm. And so the last one is a tiefling monk. Scott! What is a tiefling? A tiefling is a demon. Yeah. 
it's pretty gr- much. great person to give a first impression to when you're walking into an inn. Yes. And so the tiefling walks into the inn. He's like, I want to go and get a room. He's not asking the room for the other people. He just says, I want to get a room. Yeah. Tieflings are jerks. But this one is a monk as well. So I'm like, you do realize you don't sleep in rooms? Yeah. And you don't have money? And you have no money? Because you're a monk? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, well, here's me as the, as the innkeeper anyways. And I start going off. <laughs> yeah. Now, Scott likes to make fun of a certain aspect of my character. Um, that is rustic hospitality. Rustic hospitality! <laughs> However, my rustic hospitality came in very handy right here. Because I was able to calm the innkeeper down. and For I was a moment, e- before he saw the dragonborn. Um, Here's the thing. I think you have two things mixed up. I think the dragonborn went in first. Because what happened when he saw the tea. Oh, it was the dragonborn first. And then he was the one asking for the room. He was no to that. He was angry with that. And then the tiefling walked in. Yeah. Now, here's it. the thing. You gotta understand. My character, the giant, and the tiefling are like Han Solo and Chewbacca. With me being Chewbacca. What would happen... If in the cantina, the innkeeper or the, the, the barkeep looks at Han and tells him to get out, I hate you, you're terrible, you're trash. What do you think Chewbacca's going to do? Well, Wookiees tear up people's arms, so. Well, I'm not a Wookiee, so I did what <laughs> came naturally. I punched the innkeeper in the face. He knocked out the innkeeper. I rolled really good. <laughs> he knocked out that innkeeper. So knocked him out. They went, they ransacked the place and took a bunch of keys to rooms and then went and got their rooms okay, to sleep I, in. I left money. He paid for everything out of my pocket. He thinks he's doing lawful by doing that, but that's not lawful. Eh, well. But that was the end of night four. Oh, right before that, as soon as they went, went into the rooms, they heard a loud gong. A single gong of the church bell. This is my point to show of the connection between the last groups, which if we remember a while ago I have talked about. Yeah. The last group's church scene where there was a single loud bell at the end of that night too so this is the point of connection showing where there are in the timeline that they got to the room yeah. at the end of the night pretty much right where the other group was already sleeping yeah good but, storytelling device by the way i tried it was good i'm <laughs> genuinely saying that was a good storytelling device. well the thing was the other group you know both groups don't know that that bell is happening right to the other group so no one really knows about that but me. <laughs> or if I go and tell the other groups you know, what's happening and stuff like that. Yeah. But to me, in my head, in my mind, in my timeline, this is how I keep track of it. Right. <laughs> that single bell of the gong of the church. And that is where we're ending D&D for the night. Um, side note, since we are ending it with our group asleep, I did hogtie the innkeeper in my room. He did. I just... It's going to be relevant eventually. It will be relevant in the next time we talk about it. <laughs> but this is also the reason why I say you just giving money is not lawful. I disagree. <laughs> Called the letter of the law. <laughs> well, I have been your geek, Scott. And I have been your geek, Jason. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.